0: Hello and welcome to Cycling Talk with me, Georgia Mahoney. Today I'm joined by Team GB and Grand Tour road rider, Alex Dowsett. Thank you for joining me today, Alex.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: What's your first cycling memory?
1: ah, um, oh, A birthday party. I can't remember how old I was. Uh, it was my own birthday party and I got a bike for my birthday. I was riding it, lost control, whacked my head on a sort of a railing and missed most of my birthday party because i had to put um I, with my haemophilia everyone kind of panicked so uh That's yeah it was not a good one it's all gone a lot better since then
0: <laughs> do you remember the first bike you got really excited about
1: oh, i was probably that one um it was a team saracen i think saracen's still around um uh, it was uh yeah hard tail. no it was a, there was no suspension 21 gears it was um, sort of similar to my dad's bike. I used to go go mountain biking a fair bit.
0: Where was your first race?
1: First race was the Molden Club 10, which is a, this is a race I still go back to um, fairly regularly when I can. Um, so it was, a, it was a 10 mile time trial when I was 13 years old and I did uh, 28 minutes and one second.
0: Wow. What was the experience like?
1: It was, yeah it was cool i almost missed the turn because i just um kind of didn't really know what i was doing just sort of started rode as fast as i could um
0: yeah.
1: and then the sort of guy that was um uh, helping us out because my family is not doesn't come from cycling at all so um we sort of had some friends who were into cycling eric smith and he he got to the turnaround and made sure he was sort of shouting like turn right turn right and okay. then uh yeah and then race back and oh, it was just it was great it made me want to go back the next week and try mm. and improve my time.
0: Did you race for a club?
1: Molden District Cycling Club um and I'm still uh a second claim member of them they gave me lifetime membership which was nice because
0: yeah. yeah. well. what disciplines did you race when you were younger?
1: Oh so yeah when I was 13 and 14 uh just time trialing mm. uh, then I sort of British Cycling I got into the British Cycling Talent team and they started introducing us to everything really I think I didn't do any BMX racing I did cyclocross road track um mountain biking yeah they they, they kind of wanted us to try everything because even though I, I liked time trialing and I was good at it there was a chance that I would be better at something else I guess and and you, you need to be a good road racer as well. And being a good track racer helps. So, Yeah.
0: Can you tell me about your time on the British Olympic Academy development team?
1: Oh, um, up and down. It was uh, when I was on the junior team, which is the Olympic development programme at the time. I'm not sure what it's called now. I think they've changed the names. Um, that was good fun. We went to the world championships. We went to European championships. Uh, did team pursuit. Um, Madison and yeah it was sort of first time going to international competitions and wearing the GB kit was was really exciting and then I moved then onto the, the academy um, so the under 23 squad and we lived in Italy and Manchester and it was mixed, I definitely there I learnt how to be a professional bike rider but I really struggled because um, all the racing in Italy was on on Hills and I'm not a big fan of Hills. And then after that, it wasn't until I moved to America that I realized that I I was better, better suited, definitely better suited to the flat stuff.
0: What was it like being away from home?
1: That was tough. Um, it was tough. Uh, Especially when America was easy because it was such a fun environment. Um, When I was in Italy, it wasn't quite as fun and it made me miss home a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just kind of had to take each day and try and make the best of it. And, yeah, and, yeah I had some good friends there, like Andy Tennant um, and Russell Hampton. So, um, yeah, we, we just – it was just – it was hard because the racing was so hard. Yeah. We weren't winning, so – and when you're winning, it makes, like, everything becomes more fun. Um, so, but it just just had to endure it, and then came out the other side
0: mm. did you do any other sports when you were younger?
1: Yeah, quite a few um i I did uh, sports in school um I wasn't allowed to do contact sports because of my haemophilia, mm. but i did I played a bit of basketball wasn't very good um, I did a lot of swimming i uh, wasn't very good at that, but I really did a lot of swimming um sailing as well that was um oh, wow. yeah uh, my dad was my dad windsurfed and where he windsurfed as a sailing club so got into that which was really yeah, I enjoyed that um some, some <laughs> athletics uh yeah and then and then cycling took over
0: yeah so you said about your haemophilia can you explain yeah. what that is and how it affected you as a child
1: uh so haemophilia is where um, you're missing a crucial when your blood forms a clot. So when you're, when you have a cut and it it makes a scab, there's, there's a few stages to that. And I don't have the eighth one. Um, if you don't have one of them, then it's quite difficult for the rest, the other, um, sort of four or five to happen. So basically without medication, if I have a, if I get a paper cut or something, uh, I'll be okay. But if, if I cut myself badly, then that just won 't stop bleeding, um, and also I can suffer from internal bleeding as well into muscles and joints which is yeah. which is quite painful um, but thankfully the the medication that I take replaces what i 'm missing and enables me to lead more or less a normal life um, so yeah, and that 's when I was young it was quite it wasn 't easy because um, uh, Sometimes I wouldn't be invited to birthday parties because parents didn't really understand the condition and just thought it easier to not invite me. Um, And I had to sit out a lot of sports in school and Mm. obviously for for a boy rugby and football are two pretty crucial things to be doing in Mm. school. So, um, but I'd say that it's those things that have given me a real um, fighting spirit to succeed. (laughs) uh so it, whilst it wasn't much fun back then it's it's actually provided a real positive thing in my life mm.
0: Did it affect your racing when you were younger right up to now
1: uh no, actually the only time it affected me was when the talent team came to test me to see if i was if I, see if I was good because it involved riding around a field and they they weren 't quite sure if their insurance would cover. <laughs> my haemophilia. So, Mm -hmm. um, in the end, once they worked out that it was fine, they ended up coming to my school, um, Mm -hmm. to test me and a bunch of other kids, which was nice. Um, but otherwise, no, I mean, when I'm racing, um, the team, my teammates, the team staff all know that I've got haemophilia. All know if I have a, if I have a bad crash, then they have to give my medication to an ambulance or to the, to the ambulance with me and medications always in the team car behind. So, Mm -hmm as far as that's concerned everything's quite well managed um i mean generally i'm not really treated any differently to anyone else in the team which is nice yeah
0: what are the long-term effects of haemophilia
1: well hopefully none um hopefully i'm not going to have any I mean, when we were young they said um so i'd go for quite regular checkups they said my life would be a little bit shorter than average but i don't know. I don't see why. So, I don't think that's the thing mm. anymore because it's the it's, haemophilia now is a lot better than it used to be in, in quite recent times. So, um, but otherwise, I've got a little bit of joint damage in my elbow. Like this is as much as I can straighten it, and that's as much as I can bend it, which compared to this one. Um, and a little bit in my ankle, but nothing, yeah, nothing. nothing really affects me too much, which is mm. nice.
0: Yeah. So I know that you're the only elite rider that has this condition.
1: Yeah, I think so, but there'll be more. I I think I was very lucky if I was born five or 10 years earlier, um, then it would, things would have been quite different. I think Um, I certainly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, but so there'll be, there'll be more because haemophilia now is, is a much more, um, it's just, it's a, condition that's under control and, and kids yeah. can lead normal life with it so
0: can you tell me about little bleeders your charity that supports young people with blood disorders
1: yeah so little bleeders uh set up quite a few years ago because um I, did, I i sort of toured around europe in my off season um kind of telling my story and. Um, Realised actually, I, I can make quite a big impact on the haemophilia world because the doctors have to. The doctors they have to be very informative, be very um, are on the side of caution. So there's a lot of like, the what you can't do um, stories being spread around. Um, but I think I could use my story to show what you could do, mm. um, and that's where that's where we set up little breeders because we realized we can make a difference and provide uh, support and provide like the, the sort of more positive outlook on on life with hemophilia um and then the long term goal is unfortunately like the medication that i take is is not is not cheap um and we're lucky with the nhs so in other countries like countries that sort of are not as um advanced i guess and don't have the resources like the uk has with the nhs they don't have access to the treatment and it's without the medication to have hemophilia is quite um this is, you get a very debilitating life yeah So yeah, spend a lot of time on on crutches or in wheelchairs very different to the life i lead um and yeah. the life haemophiliacs in the uk lead so we would try to with little bleeders try to try to help change that to make it make the care equal worldwide it's it's very difficult
0: yeah it sounds like a really nice charity thank you (laughs) what sort of training were you doing when you were younger compared to now
1: oh it's got a lot more scientific now (laughs) um now that we've got power meters and heart rate almost every single pedal stroke can be measured and sent back to my coaches and the team. Whereas before I had a, when I was young, I had a coach and we'd meet at six o'clock in the morning go and ride for 40 miles as hard as we could and then go back home and have breakfast. Um, so it's, yeah, it's become a lot more advanced. There's a lot more of it as well. Do a lot of hours. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's much more scientific.
0: Yeah what do you think drew you to time trialing specifically and what do you like about it
1: um i like that the fastest person always wins the race mm. almost always unless the weather changes but the, the, yeah the fastest person always wins the race whereas road racing is much more strategic there's tactics come into play a lot more and I, I it's not like that side of things is good but i just I prefer the purity of the time trial, and um, yeah. I, I I like that I'm good at it. Um, I think it's uh, I think yeah when it, sort of on sidetracking a little bit, like when I was young, I was trying a lot of sports, and I didn't want to be a cyclist when I was a kid. I just I wanted to be good at a sport, and then I discovered I tried lots of sports. Um, like I say, I wasn't very good at sailing, swimming. I was okay at sailing, but I didn't think. I was good enough to be sort of world-class and then started cycling and I then realised after a national championship race, actually, it was something I was good at and, and I enjoyed that side of things. Mm. Um, and I enjoy cycling as well, obviously, but I, I like that I'm good at it and that's part of the love of time trialling.
0: Mm. What do you think makes a good time trialler?
1: Oh, um, I think you've got to be you've got to enjoy time trialing is not easy. It's you're riding on your absolute limit for anything from five minutes up to an hour and 15 for Mm -hmm. me. And you've got to be able to get a, um, a sense of enjoyment or a sense of satisfaction of being on that, on that limit of pain. Um, And and then I think you've got to enjoy the tech side of things. The how to sort of how to go fast, how to make your body and your bike and your equipment as optimal as possible to go as fast as possible. Um, so it's kind of a lot of the best time trialists are sort of scientists, I guess. They they really because um, it's so quantifiable. You can um, you can kind of you can say, if I, if I have this power and this equipment and everything goes right, then I'll do this time. And I think that would be better than this guy's time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I like the numbers.
0: Yeah. So you won the under-23 version of the British Time Trial Championships in 2008 and 2009. Can you tell me about that experience?
1: Um, I remember one of them. Um, because the guys that finished second and third were both a lot taller than me. Mm-hmm. And on the podium afterwards, even though I was on the top step, I was the shortest
0: mm-hmm. and I'm
1: not that sh- I'm, I'm six foot tall. I'm not that short. These two other guys are very tall. Um, yeah, was, I mean, they, it was nice to win those because it was in a year, it was in a, a sort of a period of my career where I was just really struggling because we were racing in Italy. So yeah it was just nice to come back to the UK and and do what I was good at and sort of prove to myself and to other people that whilst I'm not doing very well in the hilly road races in Italy, I am still, I'm good at my time trialling thing.
0: Mm. Yeah. I'm a really short rider and last season I would stand on the top step of the podium sometimes and the two people beside me would be the same height as me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. how am I? How am I so much shorter than them? And I'll be like looking up to them when I'm talking to them, and it is it is really funny how some people are just so much taller than me. Yeah,
1: no, yeah, you know, at your age, every sort of you, everyone develops at yeah. different different levels.
0: But I think that's quite good with cycling. How everybody is like different heights and different shapes because then you do. De- then it's something for everybody to do
1: for sure um absolutely i remember when i'd do the so you'd go to the tour of qatar which was a pan flat race and there'd be nobody there under 70 kilos mm. and then you go to like a really hilly race in spain and i think i would be the heaviest person there
0: mm. so
1: it's, yeah it's just like you said it's real nice that there's lots of shapes and sizes. And there's lots of, yeah, you can be completely different rider to someone else and and both be very good at your thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember tour of Britain one year, um, 2011, it was a time trial stage in the morning and then a sprint stage in the, in the afternoon. And I won the time trial stage and Cavendish won the sprint stage and we went training together two days later. And he, he said to me, he's like, I went as hard as I could in that time trial and you were taking three seconds per kilometre out of me. He's like, I just don't understand how that's possible. And then I said, "I said, yeah, but in the sprint I said, I was there until a K to go and I couldn't go any faster and you guys then just accelerated. And I said, I don't understand how that's possible. So it's nice that we're all doing the same sport, but we're all very good at different things. And then we're all happy for each other when they win, because there's no chance of me winning a bunch sprint and there's very little chance of Cavendish winning the time trial
0: yeah so you've ridden for teams all over the world such as Trek Livestrong, Sky, Movistar, Team Katusha Alperson,
1: Team Katusha Alperson
0: yes <laughs> and now Israel Startup Nation how does it feel being part of all these huge teams
1: it's really cool um, and they've all been very different even though they're all at like, the same level They've all been very different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, it was funny moving from Sky to Movistar and then to Katusha because you we went from an English team to a Spanish team to a German team. Mm-hmm. And in the English team, if you if you're going for a, to a ride at ten o'clock, um, if you weren't there at nine fifty, you were late. And then. Yeah. Movie star. If you're going for a ride at ten o'clock, if you were there at ten o'clock, you were early. Yeah. Inevitably, you didn't leave until mm-hmm. uh, sort of ten twenty, ten thirty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then in the Katusha, the German team. If you were going for a ride at ten o'clock, it was at ten o'clock. It wasn't before and it, it wasn't afterwards. So it was very mm-hmm. um, like each team's nationality was kind of uh, an example. It was like stereotypical, if you know what I mean. It was. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, I've been in the world tour now. I think this is my 10th season. Um, mm. It doesn't get any easier, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: What was the language barrier like?
1: Oh, it was not easy. Mm. Not easy at all. Especially in Movistar. And I stayed for five years, and I still don't know an, as much Spanish as I should. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I, I could by the end, I could get by with all the, like, I could speak cycling Spanish um, but if they would start talking about like, music or politics at the dinner table then it just went over my head
0: yeah.
1: um, and then in Katusha Alpersen, uh even though it was a German team um, or Swiss it was like German there's a lot of German riders and technically it was Swiss but yeah, even though it was um, that the, the common language was English so that became very easy yeah Israel is the same. It's, it's Everyone speaks English, so
0: mm. it yeah.
1: comes quite naturally to me.
0: Yeah. I know you've had success in the Commonwealth Games in European time trials before your first Grand Tour appearance at the Giro d'Italia. Can you tell me about your individual time trial stage win?
1: Oh, that was crazy. Um, I, I definitely didn't enjoy it as much as I should have done because because it was my first grand tour and I think now that I'm a bit older I realize the significance of um just how how big grand tours are and what um what's the word how just how big it is to have won a stage of of a grand tour um it's kind of career defining like you know we're what seven years now and like people still like when you're introduced at a race, it's like Giro d'Italia Grand Tour, it's like stage winner. It's that's the thing yeah. that people remember you for in, in cycling. Um, which is crazy. Uh, but at the time it was, um, I didn't, I, I hadn't wrecked the course. Um, it was a long time. It was one of the longest time trials I'd ever done. And it was on stage eight. So I was tired. Like the Giro mm, d'Italia is yeah. really hard. um, but I just set out. I rode as hard as I could. I rode a quite a smart race, and, and yeah, then sat waiting for two and a half hours, basically waiting for Bradley Wiggins to come in and see if he'd beat me or not. Um, <laughs> and he didn't, which was which was great. So yeah, it was uh, my whole family was there, and yeah, it was just pretty surreal.
0: I know you also had a great result in the team tri- time. Team Team time time trial trial that year. How is that different from the individual time trial?
1: There's a lot more pressure. Um, There's a lot more pressure on a team time trial because in an individual time trial, if you get it wrong, it's only really yourself you let down. Um, And it's yourself that suffers. But when you've got five or seven teammates with you and you mess up, you know it's you're letting them down as well and you're letting the whole team down. So there's a lot more pressure to get it right. Um, The first few team time trials I did, I was super scared, um, super nervous. And then as I've done more and more, I know that I'm, I'm good at team time trials. That is something that I can do well. So I know that I can, I can help um, be one of the sort of lead leaders in a, Team time trial team, which is nice, um, and yeah, we got on the podium one year at Movistar in the in the team time trial, which was which was massive, and that was oh, it was, I just remember it was really hard because we had a tailwind for the first half, and it was so fast. Uh, it's good, for, it's good fun, and when it all goes right, it's one of the best feelings in the world because you just you're riding at thirty-five, forty mile an hour, and it's kind of you're sat inches off the wheel in front in the slipstream and yeah you just got to get everything everything right but when it does go right it's a great feeling
0: mm. when did you decide you wanted to attempt the one hour record
1: i so they the, i decided to do the i wanted to do the hour record when they changed the rules um the uci uh back in before 2015 the rules were that you'd have to do it on the same bike as like, Eddie Merckx did, which is a mm-hmm. steel bike with like, spoked wheels, and it's just not very—it's uh, just not something that anyone wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and then they—they they, so they allowed us to use modern-day equipment, which suddenly made the hour record, or certainly Merckx's hour record, very easy to beat. Um, but they also meant that a lot of people were having a go and I said to my team I was like I said why don't why don't we have a go and then I remember we went and did a a test and oh, about 20 people turned up and suddenly I was like oh god Alex what have you got yourself in for here <laughs> um and yeah and then I we were gonna do it in February and then I fell off and broke my collarbone just bef- like a month before so we had to postpone it till May and then then it all went to plan. Um, it was good fun.
0: Can you explain how it works?
1: So, it's, for something so complicated, it's actually really simple. It's it's as far as you can ride a push bike in an hour um, round a velodrome. So, yeah, you you start from a standstill, and the clock starts, and you you ride as fast as you can for an hour, but. Um, it gets complicated because you want to like, you've got to stick to a schedule because you're riding a, the bike's got one gear, so you can't change gears. So if you have to pick the right gear, um, so that you're not spinning too fast, but you're also not spinning too slowly. Um, and then you, uh, and then there's a lot of work on the equipment to make it go fast as fast as possible. So I spent a lot of time in a wind tunnel, um, sort of testing out skin suits and wheels and tires and mm. everything. Yeah. So it's quite, um, yeah, it's quite, yeah. it's very cool.
0: Yeah. I've heard that apparently you ride faster at altitude. Would you ever consider doing it again at altitude?
1: Um, maybe, maybe. I think I'd like to do it at sea level first because the altitude thing is, the air is thinner, so you can pass through it easier, but there's less oxygen and you need oxygen to put power through the pedals. So
0: yeah.
1: it's not, for the short events, it's definitely faster, but for the longer events, it's only a little bit faster. Um, mm. And yeah, I think I'd like to try it at sea level again, just to see, try and improve on my, my distance from last time, because um, I think I can and then and then maybe afterwards go and see if something if yeah. if altitude's much faster i'll let you know
0: if yeah. it happens how did it feel to be selected for the tour de france
1: oh scary <laughs> it's like yeah it's kind of i got i was selected for it in movistar when uh, after i broke the hour record and i was not ready um I'd, i like all my training that year had been based around riding as fast as I could for one hour, not for three weeks. Yeah.
0: Um
1: so oh, I was Albert's here. Um, Hi. Yeah. <laughs> um so he yeah, this is Albert. Um yeah, and then that was scary because I knew I was about three or four kilos overweight. Um and just generally not ready to do the Tour de France. So when I did it, when I was selected last year, I was much more ready, which was great. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, it's, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. But uh, I was really happy to get through it. And the Champs Elysees at the end is is a really incredible experience.
0: Yeah, what's it like making friends in the peloton? Is it easy?
1: Yes, kind of. <laughs> uh, it, Depends what kind of bike rider you are. Like there's some guys who are dangerous in the bunch and then they're not liked. So no one really wants to be friends with them. Um, Yeah. So I like to consider myself as a safe rider in the bunch and I have quite a few friends in the peloton, which is great Um, because there's a lot of time spent racing where you're just, you're kind of rolling along quite easy waiting Waiting for the end, really. Waiting for the race to really start. Like, if you if you do a two hundred kilometre race, it's not um, sort of two hundred kilometres of, sort of flat out racing. It's, it's generally first half an hour might be quite fast, and then it settles down for know, two two hours, and then we yeah. have a chat, eat some food, drink some drinks, um, and then the racing starts again. So yeah, you kind of I catch up a lot with old teammates and. Friends and uh, generally, like stick the English speakers are friends with each other. Like the Aussies, the Kiwis, the Brits, um,
0: yeah.
1: and then there's some. Like, I'm good friends with Marco Haller, who's Austrian. And I was teammates with him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it's uh yeah, it's, it's a nice place to be.
0: I notice that when I'm watching the under sixteen riders in road compared to in mountain bike and cyclocross. In mountain bike and cyclocross, they chat to each other afterwards. They're relaxed. They have a bit of a laugh. But as with road, they're all really serious. They don't want huh. to talk to each other. And I find it really strange how people are so solitary when they're riding road in yeah. under 16.
1: Oh, that is strange. But well, that all changes like, yeah. as you get a bit older. Races get longer and you, you sort of... I think when when you're young and a road rider is, I've noticed it's there's some young road riders who are extremely serious and, and far yeah. too serious actually. When it's meant to be, it's just meant it's meant to be fun, really. Yeah. Like, like a quick step and not looking at how you do as a under sixteen. Um, mm. like none of it. It's not. It's not that, like it should just be fun. It, it doesn't really. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: help like what you do as an under 16 doesn't then determine how good you'll be as a junior and then as an under 23 are you hearing Albert now in a way yeah he's noisy
0: my cat's (laughs) like that (laughs) yeah
1: he's he's either hungry or he wants to go outside or (laughs) he just wants some attention
0: i've seen you lots of times riding the tour of britain and i actually met you at one of the stages can you yeah. tell me a bit about the Tour of Britain?
1: It's it's really nice. The Tour of Britain's great because um don't actually get to race in the UK much. It's uh, it's kind of the only time of year. now with the Tour of Yorkshire um, as well. It's kind of the only time you get to race in front of home crowds. And the crowds are always huge at the Tour of Britain. And it's nice because when I was in Movistar, they, like the Spanish riders that would come like Tour of Britain, when you compare it to the sort of the Grand Tours, it's not it's not a big race, but um, it's, it's like it's not a big race in the calendar, um, mm. if you know what I mean uh, but when the when the riders come to the tour of Britain, they always say they can't believe how big the crowds are it, it makes me real proud actually that yeah. um, they enjoy it they, they, they It's a race they enjoy doing because the crowds are so big and really supportive and yeah, yeah it's um oh, no know I've, I've had some good good races, good sort of uh, races there as well.
0: Yeah. So. I can't remember. I think it was 2018 there was a stage that finished like the town where I live in. And okay. I can remember there were so many people that were just st- stood there watching and when I saw pictures of it you could see everybody was like crowded around the banks. And so, I think yeah. it's really nice even the people that aren't that interested in cycling were really excited that it was ending in our area
1: yeah yeah massively um it's and it's but it's like it's what's amazing is it's like that for every stage like we go to scotland we we go like down to devon um go around like wales and it's always like the crowds are just so big all the time it's you don't get any um like you can always see a spectator even sort of in the middle of the stage if you're out in the middle of nowhere there'll be someone out like mm-hmm. watching it's yeah it's amazing
0: yeah i've recently watched you in the euros where you took a fourth place in the time trial can you tell me a bit about it um
1: I, yeah i wasn't too i wasn't that happy with the result actually i wanted um i'd put a lot of effort into it and I wanted more from that. Uh, I think we got something wrong with the training leading up to it. Do um, you have to taper? Taper for an event, and I think I tapered too much and ended up um, just down on power. So I mean, fourth. Fourth is a. Oh, it's a frustrating pl- finishing place because you're not on the podium and you're the first one that's not on the podium. Um, but yeah, I learned from it and. Luckily world championships is, is happening, so um can try and go try and do better there.
0: Yeah, I actually watched your video on your YouTube channel about oh, yeah. your blog of the Euros and I never realized before how much more there is to pro racing.
1: Yeah, I mean you have to God, it's just they everything it's got a lot more technical in in recent years where just realizing how important like the skin suit is and how important the helmet is and and the bike and the wheels and the tires and just all these like little things add up to to make big differences and i've god i've lost races by like this much too many times so it was um right well we'll we make sure that there's nothing else we could have done to, to go any faster. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like so Europeans last year, I was I was fifth, but I was, and it was a 26 minute race, and I was 0.48. I was less than half a second off mm-hmm. the, um, less than half a second off the third place, which is oh, it's nothing. It's, it's <laughs> such a small amount. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How were your training and race plans affected this year by coronavirus?
1: Oh, quite a lot. Because um, I was I was working very hard for the Olympics, um, and then they cancelled all the races, which was which was uh, frustrating. But we we're like it's okay because Olympics is still is still happening, so I was still training really hard. And then they cancelled, well, they postponed the Olympics, so we just stopped training for mm-hmm. 2 weeks cuz we had to stay indoors um and then i just i sort of trained on swift for guys a long time like 5 5 i don't i don't even know it was, it was a long time we were on swift yeah. so yeah which was i mean thank sort of thankfully swift makes it sort of very entertaining um to train indoors cuz i think if uh if it had been before the days of Swift, then it was. Um, it would have been a lot harder.
0: Yeah. What are your plans for the rest of the year?
1: Rest of the year, I go to Italy to race in Terreno Adriatico, which finishes with the time trial, um, and then I go to World Championships, um, and then I go to. I think I've put an entry in for the National Twenty Five in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. Which is just after Worlds, and then the Giro d'Italia to finish the year off.
0: Oh wow, B- very busy then.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it was very quiet before, so it's uh, it's very busy now.
0: Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Oh,
1: probably, probably retiring from professional cycling. Um, I'll be yeah, I'll be thirty thirty six, turning thirty seven. So it's, it's about that's about time that the riders retire. So um yeah. I mean we Chanel and I have got a baby on the way, so mm-hmm. I'll be a dad. Um and hopefully this guy is still causing trouble as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just uh working out what to do after cycling really. Mm-hmm. Um hopefully hopefully with something in hemophilia with maturity. Um also something in within cycling on like the tech side. So I don't wanna be like a director sportif, because um, that's it's even more time away from home than we spend now. Yeah. Um, but I'd quite like to just work on the the t- sort of time trialling and the tech side of things, making making people go faster.
0: Mm. What's your favourite race you've ever done?
1: Oh, um, Tour of Britain is is just good fun for the crowds and racing on home roads, but. I really like the Tour de Romandie, which is in Switzerland, um, normally in kind of April time because they always put in – there's always two-time trials, and they're always uh, bonkers, like lots of corners, Mm -hmm. cobbles. It's usually raining, um, and it seems to suit me. So I I really enjoy that, and it's it's a nice part of the world to race on. The roads are really smooth, and – um the hotel's always very good so yeah that's uh that's my favorite
0: yeah what's your favorite race to watch
1: um are the classics i think mm. because like they're they're mental so it's quite nice to watch them because it means you're not in them um they're super dangerous and it, uh, yeah, I've not had great experiences there I mean I finished Paris-Roubaix once which was great But I was like okay that's enough now I've done it, I've, done it, I've finished it I don't need to go back to it um, mm-hmm. So yeah they're good to watch um, Yeah Yeah I'd say those
0: Where do you most enjoy training?
1: Um, yeah, I did a stint in Sw- against Switzerland Just because of the roads like The roads are so smooth and everything's so like, well looked after and ma- maintained. I, I, my cousins lived in uh, Bern for for a couple of years, and I would I would go and train with them. Well, I'd, I'd go stay with them and go training quite a lot with them, which yeah. was yeah, it's just really nice. Um, There's nice people as well. Yeah. Devon's great as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I trained in Devon quite a bit actually, and the, uh, um, oh, what's the cycling club? Sorry, it's like North Devon Wheelers, is it? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. They, I went and took the time trail. Oh. the North Devon Wheelers time trial oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. A few yeah. years ago. Yeah. Quite yeah a few years I
0: ago. um. I live in Devon, and I think it's such an amazing place, especially where I live. I don't realise that there are some incredible views. Like, I can go a mile down the road and I see some amazing view. It's it's so yeah. beautiful.
1: Oh, it's really nice. I took um, uh, two years ago. I wasn't selected for the tour and my team told me to take seven days off and and like not ride my bike at all and Chanel was like let's go on holiday I said yeah she wanted to go to I think like Greece or south of France somewhere like that and I was like nah we're going to Devon (laughs) and uh, we went uh yeah stayed in Croyd um it was great and she loved it she's from New Zealand so she said it was it reminded her quite a lot of New Zealand, just very green, nice beaches yeah. and by the sea. Yeah.
0: Is there a race you haven't done but you'd like to do?
1: Oh, oh before this year I'd have said um, Strada Bianchi, which is the gravel race in, in Italy. But I I I did it this year and it was crazy. Um <laughs> it's good fun. It was a lot of fun. Um it was mental. Um so yeah, that one's I've done that now. Um, I guess the Vuelta, actually, Vuelta's one of the only races I haven't done. Um, I've never done Paris Nice or, um, we'll see, Pays Vasco, and I don't ever want to go to Pays Vasco either because it's just all uphill. Um, but yeah, Paris Nice would be cool to do. But yeah, the Vuelta just to, just to do, um, just to do all three Grand Tours. Um, yeah. But the, the problem with the vw is normally it always clashes with the Tour of Britain. And,
0: oh,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. I was... I'm usually... I'm Movistar, I was the only Brit, so I had to go to the Tour of Britain. Um, and then Katusha Alberson, I went... Uh, we had Harry Tamfield as well, but uh, and they sent us both to the Tour of Britain. So it's... Yeah, um, yeah one year.
0: Mm. Tell me about some of your bikes from your pro career.
1: Oh, um... Unfortunately, we don't get to keep them. I've only kept one, and that was the R-record bike. Um, and they didn't even let me keep the one I broke the R-record on. They gave me the training bike, which was quite worn out. Um, so, yeah, otherwise we we don't we don't get to keep them. Um, I think one of my favourite bikes, though, was when I was in Trek Livestrong. Um, it's quite a funny story, actually. We raced in, uh where was it, Oregon. And after the race... One of the bikes came off the roof. My teammate and I were first and second in the time trial. He was first, I was second. Um, And one of the bikes then fell off the roof rack and went under a lorry. And I was like, please be his, please be his, please be. And it was mine. Um, So I ended up keeping, and it was like the manager was carrying it like this, the whole bike. It was absolutely destroyed. Um, So I ended up keeping a small, like just a down tube. Um, and then Trek sent me, they just released their new bike um, like a, a week or so before and they sent me one of them. So suddenly I went from sort of losing, having my bike to, destroyed, having to having the best bike in the team, um, <laughs> which it was very, it was back in yeah, 2010. There was a team called Radio Shack, which was, uh, uh, it was Lance Armstrong's sort of comeback team. Um, Yeah. Which at the time was great, but obviously none of that ended too well. But um, yeah, it was a very, very good looking bike.
0: Mm. Who's your favorite current rider? Uh,
1: Favorite as in if I was a a fan, or favorite as in like one of my mates? As a fan. As a fan. I think Ala Philippe. Just the way he races, Yeah. I think, is uh, that there's no... He's completely unpredictable, um, which I think is fantastic for racing. Like, nobody... Like, last year and this year, I think he's, on his own, a problem to enios and Jumbo Visma because of how unpredictable he is, uh, yeah. which is great to watch.
0: Who's your favourite rider of all time?
1: Oh... Of all time um, i don't know uh, like, Graham O'Brien was a bit of a legend i don 't know if you 've seen the film with him he was a he' was a very odd character, but he like, he was um yeah he won a lot uh, he broke the hour record he he built his own bikes as well, which was pretty incredible oh, really? and he was very very ahead of his time in terms of um like aerodynamics and, and everything. So he, he created some, uh, he, I think he just had a lifelong battle with the UCI because he'd make something new and the UCI would be like, we don't like that, you can't use that. And then mm-hmm. he'd make something else that was new and the UCI would do the same. So yeah, he was a, he was a big character.
0: He sounds very interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: What's the name of the film that he's in?
1: Uh, the Flying The Flying Scotsman.
0: Oh, yeah. i have to definitely um, watch that.
1: Yeah, he's uh yeah, he's he's he gets mixed up in some um not mixed up, what's the word? He he has some some sort of mental battles with it, so Yeah. yeah. But he's he's interesting.
0: Mm. Out of all the teams you've been on over the years, who have you most enjoyed riding and training with?
1: Ah, oh, Marco Haller, um, Austrian Austrian guy. We rode together in the Tour de France and we, uh, yeah, we we just, we get on really well. So um, yeah, he's been, he's been my uh, favorite sort of training, training partner. And then after the race is finished, he's quite a good party partner as well. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, we just, we get on very well.
0: My dad's friend sent him a link to one of your YouTube videos about young rider development. Mm. I found it really interesting and I would recommend riders of all ages and parents to watch it. Can you tell us some of your advice for young riders?
1: Yeah, I mean, I did those videos because I get a lot of um, messages from people, who don't maybe just a little bit older than you, and asking about like body weight and watts and like, training, and I was just. I was like we're missing it's kind of missing the missing the mark here. It's like I was saying before, like bike riding right now should be fun. Um it actually doesn't really matter if you win or lose. Uh just you you have to enjoy it. It has to be a sport you enjoy because it gets when you get older it gets really hard. And if you don't enjoy it then you're not gonna last long. Um, Yeah. So I think that was one of my main takeaway. I mean I, I I talked a lot about specifics but that was one of my main takeaways from it, it was just it's like you like have a bunch of friends at the races that mm. you, you look forward to seeing um because cycling can be such a fantastic social sort of uh social scene as well um so and yeah not to get too just not to get too serious about it yet because there's there's so much time um and this was for juniors and under 23 uh, juniors and under sixteens I mean when you get under twenty three you have to you have to think about it a bit more um but it's yeah you've got to learn how to race as well, like I think power meters and all the numbers you can have can be a bad thing as well because you you just end up and and coronavirus actually didn't help much because suddenly it was all all anyone had was how how much power can I produce, and it's um you kind of lose you lose sight on, on racing. Like look at Alaphilippe, like yeah. going back to him, he is not someone who, uh, can, like, perhaps he might not be as good as Roglic or, uh, Egan Bernal in terms of putting out like, a certain amount of power and being a certain weight, but he'd outrace them. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think it's, you need to learn that. Albert agrees.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You've got five minutes before you head down to the start of a race. What's on your players to get you motivated? Cool.
1: Um, it changes a lot. Uh, it's got to be quite upbeat. Um, but I I very much like what I like at the time. Um, I can have a look now and tell you, actually. Because um, there is a playlist for warming up. Um, there's some kaigo on there, which is like a yeah. tropical house. Um, One Republic's on there. Um, Stereophonics as well. Um, yeah.
0: Thank you so much for coming on today, Alec.
1: Ah, thanks for having me, Georgia.
0: And congratulations to you and Chanel for your baby.
1: Thank you, thank you. It's gonna be mental, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> How do you think Albert will feel about it? <laughs>
1: Uh, actually, it was Albert was the first one to um, to sort of uh, realise it um, because I think, uh, and we looked up on it, suddenly he just, like out of nowhere, like, when we sleep, he doesn't, occasionally he'll sleep at the end of the bed, but often he sort of doesn't come in the room and then suddenly he just started sleeping on Chanel's stomach, which he's oh. never done before. Oh, um, okay. So they can sense the cats, there's a slight change in smell with the sort of changes in hormones and stuff. So, um, yeah, we didn't think any, so we were just like, that's a bit weird. And then, yeah. yeah, sort of a week later we found out and we were like, that's what he was doing. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he will be, I don't know what he'll be like. He'll be all right. <laughs> Chanel will make sure that they're best friends, whether he wants to be or not. <laughs>
0: I really enjoyed talking to Alex and I found it interesting about his haemophilia and how he dealt with it as a child but didn't let it stop him from becoming a professional cyclist. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. You can check out our Instagram at cycling.talk.podcast and you can find my podcast on Spotify, Acast and via my website. See you on the bike.